0: Okay, well, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yes, we're going to get started. We are, as you can see, and if you received the e-newsletter on Friday, you would already be aware, uh, that we're in a brand new series, um, Christ, Our Living Hope. I love that picture. Uh, it, it reminds me of the Fraser Canyon. Anybody else? You got rocks on one side, you got a river on the other, and you got a bunch of sheep following a shepherd, and it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> And that's where we're headed. We are going to be in 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to 1 Peter this morning. Uh, There's going to be a lot to cover as we introduce the series today. Really an introduction, going to look at just two verses. But everything that Peter writes is packed. Two verses, and they're packed. And So we'll try to unpack that this morning. I'm going to to read those two verses for you. So if you have your Bibles, we'll read verses 1 and 2 in chapter 1. And then I'm going to pray one more time before we dive in this morning. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you so much that uh, we can come into your presence the way that we did this morning in fellowship. Um, you're present when we're greeting one another and, and uh, we're joyfully reconnecting with friends, meeting uh, new people, visitors. You're there. You give us that, that, that presence, that sense of joy when we get together again. And we thank you so much for, Holy Spirit, how you work and move through um, the music and the words of worship that we sang this morning. Lifting up that word rejoice, a word that means continual joy. So we want to thank you for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Um, well, for who you are, obviously, and what you've done on our behalf, but I thank you so much for the way that Peter reveals you, a a man who, who met you in a boat, who saw you firsthand, up close and extremely personal. A man whose life you radically changed. (laughs) A man who, like myself and many of us, continued to struggle. But when you said, I will make you a fisher of men, you, as you always do, kept your promise even with Peter. So thank you so much for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words that we're going to look at today. The words that you've given to me to introduce this series to us. And I pray that you would use them mightily. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So the first question we have to answer this morning is a question. I, I, I would often open a series this way, but I haven't all the time. And the question this morning is going to be, why First Peter? And it's a question I think you should want to know. Like, okay, why, Glenn? Like, you know, um, some of you know it. I know I talked to some of you this morning. You go, I love First Peter. And I'm going, yeah, me too. But Why? It's a really important question. The process that we have as a church, that I have as your pastor, but we as a church have, is rather simple. It's rather traditional. I mean, obviously, the first part of the process is prayer, right? It's not just one prayer, but it's prayers that started months ago while we were already in a series. And uh, part of it is with me, honestly, like I get out of here on a Sunday, I go home, and it's, I've told Janice before, it's like at two o'clock in the afternoon, I get a knot in my stomach. And it's not a worry-not, but it's just, well, maybe it is. But it's a not like, okay, we've got to do this again next Sunday, right? And, and got to get back in it. And it's not, a, it's just a loving thing, but it's, it, but it's there. And so it's also about praying, not only about next week, and when you're going through books of the Bible, okay, you know where you're going, so it's, it's great. But then, well, okay, what after that? What after that? And so after 13 to 14 years, I, I can, I think I can say, hopefully truthfully, um, I'm getting much better at listening to the Holy Spirit. And to others who we talk to as elders and so forth. So that's where it all begins. And so for there, we consider the work of the Holy Spirit also about what we've been going through as a church. You know, like what have we been going through that he's led us to in the past, the various series, you know, the Gospel of Luke, which took like, what, 18 years? Okay, we're not that old. Uh, But it took a long time with breaks in between. And then, then he's taken us through some really interesting series, and, and, and like Micah one summer, and and also, uh, uh, um, what was it, Jonah, right? That was fun, right? I mentioned him a little bit this morning. And, and, and then recently, very recently, through spiritual warfare, and th- then through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so you, you, you consider those things, and you also consider not only what the Holy Spirit has been teaching me and us, and, and what you've been saying about that to me and to others, Um, But at the end of the day, our focus is always this. Our focus is, is, what do we need? What do we as a local church need? What do you need so that you can grow in your walk in faith with Jesus Christ? I've told you before, I get my job description from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, which is basically, I'm here as other elders and teachers are here to equip you for the work of ministry, to grow you in your faith and walk with Jesus so you can be a witness in this community and make disciples who make disciples, which is the call that's on your life as well as mine. And so that, that's our, our, our thought. And so we think about a local church. Now, now, there's a danger that I think a lot of pastors, and I, I could too, get caught into. And that is, is in probably Primarily because of, well, come on, the Internet, social media, the instantaneous knowledge of everything that's going on in our world, if you want to go there. The danger is, is that you, you would be seeing things that are going on in Europe or south of the border or wherever, and you'd be going, "Well, we better talk about that here." There's a danger in that, I would suggest. There's a temptation, but there's also a danger. And the danger is it it may not be the primary issue going on here or the primary issue that you need to hear about in your own faith and walk with Jesus, in your own marriage, in your own parenting, in your own whatever. And so uh, we're trying to be guided by, Lord, what do we need? What do you need? What do I need? So that's the process. And that's why, as I'll get to it, we've come to 1 Peter. Now, the reality is, is obviously this. We're living in uh, this thing called the internet age, the, the social media age, and we cannot divorce ourselves from the things that are going on, and more and more, the things that are going on in our world are significantly impacting us here. And I would suggest to you that the noise that we've been hearing, all of us, over the past five, six, seven years, it's just increasing, and it's not only cre- creating a lot of tension amongst us, but it, it's also creating... It's, it's, well, it's disorienting. It's just disorienting. When you think back myself, I've been a political follower since I was a kid. You know, I just loved John F. Kennedy. And I started following politics and leaders and things like that back in the day. And and it's it's hard to be divorced from that, right? But if you look back in like twenty fifteen, anybody remember? It's a while ago right and 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 again we love our neighbors to the south because uh, uh, we're no, no, we're not more perfect but boy did things become highly charged and highly divisive in 2015 and since then yes incredibly so and it's kind of funny because like our prime minister in in 2015 his campaign was called what sunny ways right that almost sounds uh, that sounds rather tame in comparison doesn't it And we all know how that worked out. Okay, no more political comments. (laughs) Then March 2020 hits. I hate to remind you of this, but we as a culture and as a church and as people are still dealing with the trauma, I would suggest. And honestly, for us as a church, after two very tragic losses the year before COVID hits us, the world is rocked by this unknown enemy at the time, at least. And our world literally was brought to a standstill. Has anyone ever seen that before? I have never seen that before in my life. The summer of 2020 only exacerbated that problem with racial, racial tension, right? George Floyd, terrible, terrible uh, tragedy. And it reminded me, but I haven't seen anything like that, quite frankly, since um, 1965, when the L.A. riots were in, in Watts and in, in, in Los Angeles. And I'm a kid, right? Like, and it was tragic. It was terrible to see that. But it, it's happening again. And it really impacted us. And if things weren't bad enough, this is, this is fun so far, right? A man by the name of Vladimir Putin decided and thought it was the opportune time to invade a neighboring con- country and, well, do what? Commit war crimes. I mean, let's be honest here, right? And out of that, what have we seen? Fuel prices at the gas station go crazy. Supply chain issues, inflation. Does anybody wake up today any more relaxed than you were in 2019? I don't think so. Anybody here just so full of encouragement, you don't really need to hear this sermon? Finally, I have to state this, add to and on top of that the not advent of but the cresting of liberal progressive values related to sexuality, gender, and the war on the oppressors they deem to be responsible for all human struggles We're in very, very difficult times. And listen, especially if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so again, why First Peter? Hello. Despite the gap in years, I hope to show you over the next 10, it could be 12 weeks, I haven't really figured out the outline completely yet because I want to go faster or slower depending again on what the Holy Spirit tells us. I think what you're going to see is, I hope you're going to see this, it, it's strikingly so similar to the days we're living in today that Peter is speaking into as a pastor. It's fantastic to see this so I do have a sermon title and three points for you today. Some of you are here, you know that that's not always the case, but we do. Sermon title for today is Christ, Our Living Hope Introduction. Three things I hope to show you today. I want to look at the man who we're going to call the capital A Apostle, or at least one of them. Number two, the church. Number three, the context. So number one, the capital A Apostle. Peter introduces himself at the beginning of the letter, which again is different than the way we write letters today. We say, hey, friend, and we write a letter, and then we put our signature at the end. In these letters, they always put their name or introduce themselves up front. He introduces himself this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, full stop. Hmm. So I would want to suggest to you that even after a cursory reading of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, and on, um, you would, you would get the impression over time that Peter was a, a significant figure, right? You would, you would come to see him as, you know, a guy who shows up and he's there and he's a significant figure, but then he seems to have some missteps and problems and, and, and then he's there again and then, well, then he kind of fades away. It would appear anyway. Well, I want to suggest to you the reality is, is that um, maybe what we need to do this morning, I want to do with this morning, is just reacquaint ourselves with this man. And the call that Jesus put on his life to follow him and be a capital A Apostle someday. We first meet uh, Peter in Matthew's Gospel, where we read in chapter 4, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, in parenthesis, Matthew puts it in, who is called Peter later, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So historians would suggest uh, about Peter, they try to guess or you know, come to some conclusions about certain things. And most historians and theologians would say that Peter, the evidence would be that he was probably the exact same age as Jesus at the time. So that means on this day, in his boat, he's about 30 years old. Any 30-year-old men here? or older even, who uh, wondered, like, why in the world would Jesus ever call me to follow him and make me into an apostle, like in a couple of years? That's how young most of these men were in those days. And so that means that at the point that he's in Rome, writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, as we'll see, he's about 58 to 60 years of age. So this is a little bit about his background and who he is. So we learn here that his birth name is Simon, That's the name that his mother and father gave to him when he was born. And that he had a brother whose name is Andrew. And it was actually Andrew who had first heard about Jesus and seen Jesus preaching and teaching and said to his brother, Peter, you've got to come hear this guy. You've got to come see this guy. And so we also see it's at the call that Jesus makes on them to follow him that they drop their nets immediately and leave and off they go. About six months later, Jesus makes good at least to begin with, on his promise to make him a fisher of men when he appoints him, chooses him to be one of his 12 apostles. And Matthew actually records it, I believe. Yes, Matthew 10, it won't be on screen, but Matthew records that this way the announcement of who the apostles are. He says these words, first, Simon, who is called Peter. It's, it's interesting. There, there's no hierarchy in the apostleship. Uh, I was raised Catholic. No, Peter wasn't the first pope, okay? But, but, but the reality is, is every time that the list is made of the apostles or the disciples, even when, when the three guys will talk about Peter, James, and John, or with Jesus, the inner circle, Peter's named first every time. He was seen amongst the others as a leader, a leader of the apostles, so later we learned that he and his brother had been working in their father's fishing business and that his father's name was Jonah. <laughs> I never thought about this, but now that we've been through uh, the book of Jonah, remember, as a church, I mean, that's a pretty good name for a fisherman, isn't it? <laughs> that's, okay. Um, but in that passage, we also hear Jesus officially change Peter's name. And this is significant. Jesus does this with Paul too, right? It, it, he, he changes when 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 Jesus chooses you or me. He does give us a new name, and this is an example of doing it. And so you all know the passage where this happens. Uh, where uh, I, I love this passage because we get the name for our church from this passage, Matthew 16. And Jesus begins it by saying to the disciples, who "Are asking this question? Who do people say that I am?" Now this is a, a way a year or more into his ministry and the, that the first, the disciples maybe sound a little stumped. They're like, well, uh, some people think you're the reincarnation of Elijah or my, my, I don't know, like this, that, whatever. Jesus does the amazing thing. He personalizes it, turns it around and says, yes, but who do you say that I am? That's, that's the question. That's the key question. And Peter, of course, has a very light bulb moment <laughs> and Peter steps up like Peter's want to do and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. I honestly can imagine based on what happens afterwards, Peter kind of went, whoa, did I just say that? <laughs> he does that. Jesus responds this way. Blessed are you, Simon. Simon. For, oh, pardon me, Simon bar Jonah, which means son of Jonah, right? So that's where we see that. First, fle- for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So good for you, Peter. It's going to get recorded, and we're going to remember that, but you didn't come to that realization on your own. My father told you that. He revealed that to you. And I tell you, here's the name change, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. So from this point on, he's known as Peter, which is, again, why Matthew recorded earlier Simon, who's called Peter, from that point on. But it's interesting. He only He's only called Peter for like about three minutes. Right? It's, it's uncanny um, what happens, because at that point, Jesus decides to tell the rest of the disciples, well, that's great. Now you know who I am. You've professed me, and it's based on your confession of faith, Petros, Peter, the rock, that I will build my rock, which is the church. But then he starts to tell the disciples and those who are following him, but particularly the 12. Listen, here's what's going to happen, by the way, in the next 12 to 18 months. I'm going to end up in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be mocked and put on trial. I'm going to be crucified and dead and buried. But on the Thursday, third day, I am going to rise from the dead. This is where, uh, a point where I think uh, Peter developed his first um, uh, case of foot and mouth disease, right? Where he actually says to Jesus, three minutes after he's been given a new name, he says to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. New name. Well, not a permanent name. But that's what he calls him. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So that's a huge come down from Peter, the Petros. You know, in the Greek, small rock, who, uh, whose testimony I will build my rock, big rock, the church on, of faith. And so we have this little turn in his, in his life. I've already mentioned the inner circle. He's a part of Peter, James, and John. And not too many months later, he ends up going up on a mountain. He's called up on a mountain with Jesus, just the three of them. And they go up onto the mountain to see Jesus transfigured into his heavenly body, into his heavenly presence. And Elijah and Moses are there talking with Jesus. And Peter gets to be there. Despite his failings and his imperfections, he's still there. He's still with Jesus in that way. And so after this amazing event, they move on with Jesus. He teaches them how his disciples in church should... He teaches them a lot of things, but one of the things he teaches them is how the church should deal with um, offenses and sins and division within the church. In Matthew 18, you can read about it, where, where he basically says to the guys, look, here's a process. When, when, when a brother or sister sins against you or inf- offends you in such a way that you're really hurt, you're really upset with them, you don't really want to have anything to do with them because of it, Jesus says, I know that's going to happen, so here's what you do. He lays out a process. It's a fantastic process. It's a process that is intended to bring repentance, forgiveness, and restoration of the relationship and is intended to protect the unity of the local church, oh, that people would use and apply that today. Just saying. But then right after that fantastic teaching, again, Peter, I think like it's another one, Like he takes a sandal, put it, puts it in his mouth, and he, he says to Jesus, he goes, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now look, at that point, I'm sure Peter's going, okay, that's a lot. And at the same time, I think Jesus is going, Peter, you're going to need it. So are you, and so am I. So one might think things couldn't get any worse for Peter, but a few months later, when Jesus is about to be betrayed, He tells his disciple that they're all going to fall away. He tells them, you're all going to fall away. None of you are going to stick with me. Peter objects. I love Peter, okay? I think I've told some of you in the church before, I identify with him more than anybody else. Maybe I shouldn't love him so much, right? But I do. I really do. Peter says in Matthew 26, Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away got to love his heart. You just have to. Jesus said to him, oh, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now look at the rest of the words Matthew records. And all the disciples said the same, including Matthew. So let's not just throw Peter under the bus here because you know what happened, right? Yeah, sadly, sadly, it came true. It came true. He did exactly what Jesus said he would do. And after he failed that hard that time, the scripture records that he wept. It says bitterly in your translation, maybe. It means uncontrollably. Have you ever wept like that over something you've done? and you couldn't stop crying? Peter, the fisherman. The capital A, apostle. It's an incredibly beautiful picture. (laughs) After all this drama in history, you'd you'd have to wonder at this point, I mean, you'd forgive Jesus if Jesus said, okay, Peter, it's been good. It's been fun, but we're done. I'll pick somebody else. It's okay, you can go back to fishing. He doesn't do that. Listen. When Jesus says, I will make you into something, when Jesus chooses you, there's no quit. Our living hope, is that encouraging? Peter's life displays that for us. So there's there's much more to this man. And his story, But finally, we should look at a couple of other events. We should look at what happens um, uh, before we get to 1 Peter um, when the day of Pentecost happens, right? And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Peter, the man who denied Jesus three times, does what? <laughs> he stands up in front of everyone on that day and preaches the second best sermon ever preached that we, is recorded in the Bible. Why second best? Well, we just went through the first best, didn't we? The Sermon on the Mount. Based on that sermon... The power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit coming through Peter on that day, three to five thousand people come to faith in Jesus Christ and the church is born. That's Peter. That also is Peter. And so from that point on, he and John appear to be the key leaders of the church, right? After that first wonderful week, uh, you know, breaking bread, and home to home, and on and the very next Sunday or next, I believe, Sabbath day, Peter and John, off they go into the marketplace to preach what? Jesus and the kingdom of God. What happens to them? Well, at first they're told to be quiet and stop it. After that, well, prison. And after that, well, beatings. Did they quit? No. Not a chance. But then something happens around chapter 10 of Acts. Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter the disciples, the church is growing, everything's wonderful. A guy by the name of Paul comes on the scene. He's arrested on the road to Damascus. I mean, arrested not by the police, but by Jesus Christ, the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. Why? Which is why Paul can also claim to be a capital A apostle. So let me be really clear about this point that I'm making here this morning. That's it. There were 13 at one time. One disqualified himself by betraying Jesus, Judas. Matthias was then brought in to replace him. And the Apostle Paul, that's it for capital A Apostles. Now, some of you will also know that I and other pastors that I love and appreciate, I believe that the apostolic small a apostle gifting continues to this day. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And so this is Peter. So there are a few brief glimpses of him uh, through the book of Acts after that. Some of them not so great. Remember, there's a time where he won't eat with the Gentiles. And God and Paul both have to rebuke him on that point. But he comes around. Finally, he comes around. But then we don't really see him, it seems, anymore. He's talked about here and there briefly. And, uh, but one thing that I, I want to, just before we look at our verses again for today, uh, remind us of, because maybe you're not aware of this, but we went through the gospel of Luke, and you know, Luke never met Jesus. Luke was a disciple, really, of Paul's, or came to faith through Paul, and so we know that in writing of his gospel that he interviewed as many of the eyewitnesses of Jesus as he could, including probably Mary, and he wrote his gospel based on interviewing all those people. Well, Mark wrote his gospel by talking to whom? Peter. So Peter doesn't have his name on Mark's gospel, but Mark got much of his input and his information from Peter. And so now we arrive at 1 Peter again. This a little background on the guy. We'll bring up one more piece of information on him in conclusion this morning. And so when he opens up with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is not braggadocio. He, he's not going, okay, look, I'm important. It's not what he's saying. He is saying he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's identifying himself as one of the capital A apostles. But his purpose for introducing himself that way at the beginning is to say this. What I write to you, what I say, comes under apostolic authority. This is the word of God to you. And that's, frankly, how it would be received. So that's the capital A apostle guy. Encouraged? Jesus doesn't give up on them. At 58, 60 years of age, he's writing this letter, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's loving, and it's encouraging. Number two, the church. He writes to, it says, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So this is the point at which I want to suggest to you Peter's letter becomes both theologically a bit dense, and it will as we go through it in the weeks ahead, profound and also very encouraging. As we will hopefully see in conclusion this letter comes from the heart of a man who wants to deeply encourage the flock of God. That's why he's writing 1 Peter. So on the theological level let me offer a simple caveat here please. Okay? I do this from time to time but this one's important. We're going to read and hear words this morning that will no doubt raise some flags for some of us. Theological flags. All right? I love it actually. It's wonderful to talk about these things. Um, Can I just suggest this today, and as we go through this letter for the weeks ahead, can we just be good Bereans as a local church, without outside sources? Can we just together look at the words, look at the scripture, reason together from the word of God today and during missional community groups this week, and hear what the word of God has to say to us? A couple of illustrations to make my point couple of years ago, I met a pastor's conference, and a good friend of mine, I won't mention his name, His pastor, we've known each other for maybe 25, 30 years, he's an awesome guy, and I don't know, I honestly don't know the background of why this came up the way it did, but we were talking about theological stuff, and you know, like, well, we were talking a little bit about, you know, some of the minor divisions within our denomination, about people who lean this way theologically, or that way theologically, and and a a particular uh, reformer, (laughs) His name was put out there, and his name, I'm just going to tell you, is John Calvin. Hello. And my friend who's a pastor said to me, goes, oh, man, I got to be honest with you, Glenn. There is no way in the world I could be a Calvinist. Now, now, hear, hear me Can I say this, okay? I, I'm not saying you have to be, but whatever. I, I, I didn't say anything to him at the time, but I'm thinking... You know, because I think weird thoughts sometimes, okay, just so you know. But I was trying to process that and I thought to myself, well, so what happens when my buddy here stands before God uh, when he passes and the God the Father looks at him and says, by the way, I'm a five-point Calvinist. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> I would say, well, I'm glad I'm still here. <laughs> On the other hand, God could say, you know what, I'm not even a one-point Calvinist. So please hear me. Those tags, those labels, I look back at the Reformation, I've studied, I love it, and you got John Calvin, you got Martin Luther, you got Zwingli, you got Menno Simons, who's kind of like the background father of our denomination, I guess you could say. There are many, quote, reformers. And you know what? They brought wonderful theology, not all perfect, not all right, to us. I think we should hear them. Another example, which I found really funny, was I have a, a good friend. He's still a good friend. And, and we used to have... Con- we're poles apart on a couple of theological issues, right? But we're good buddies. And I think one of the reasons why he continued to actually put up with me and, and love me is because I did the same with him. We just weren't going to divide. We refused to. So one time I, 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 I read these three paragraphs of phenomenal writing, right? And I read them and I went, ah. Oh. So I, I'm going to send this to my buddy by email. So I did, but I didn't tell him who the author was. So the next time we're talking on the phone, we're talking about some things, and he goes, oh, Glenn, by the way, I got that email, and I read that, so that was beautiful. That was absolutely wonderful. That <laughs> is so sneaky. Um, and he said to me, who wrote that? And I think when I said John Kelvin, I thought he spit up into the phone. Most people who have hard, hard opinions either way have never read the other way. So please don't do that. Read them. Read what they have to say. There's good stuff, and then we should discuss that. So that's my caveat for you for today on that point. Peter, the apostle, tells us whom he's writing to. Look at this. He says, to those, the church, who make up the church. That's who he's writing to. He says, first, they are elect. There you go. That's a good word, right? That's a very, very fascinating word theologically. It is. It's also a great word. It's a Greek word that is not ambiguous at all. It's not ambiguous. It literally could be translated and means elect or chosen, listen, by someone else. That's what it means. And so we don't have time, honestly, today to dig too deeply into this, but what's important for us to see that today is how Peter the apostle who's Jewish, is writing this to primarily a Gentile church in Asia Minor. There were some Jewish uh, Christians there, but it was primarily Gentiles who he's writing to. And he's using terminology that is very reminiscent of the Old Testament and the people of Israel and God's relationship to his chosen people. So, simple point, let me just put it out there today. It is true in the Old Testament anyway that God did choose Certain people over others, correct? He he chose the people of Israel. He did not choose Pharaoh and the Egyptians, right? That's who God is. and, And that's his choice. And that, in fact, is what he did. In that case, I'm sure we would all agree that it's a fair reading and understanding of the Old Testament would lead us to believe that God chose one group and not another. And so he did choose the people of Israel. Peter wants these Gentile Christians to be encouraged. <laughs> that in the same way, but differently, they've been chosen. They've been elected by God to be his in that place, in that time in history, and for the days that are coming. And they're going to need that encouragement. And so are you and I. To know that we are elected and chosen. And it's not based on anything that we did. At all. Oh, the bar is way too high for Glenn Davies to get there. And so this is interesting what we see him doing here. Uh, he uses, of course, the word exiles. Again, how reminiscent is that if you're Jewish? But listen, not just Jewish people in that day. Gentiles also knew about the exiled Jews, right? In 586, who were taken from Jerusalem and taken into exile where? In Babylon, <laughs> right? And and then. And Chapter 5, Peter, as he concludes his letter to the churches in Asia Minor, is going to say that he's in Babylon, speaking of Rome. And so the, he uses that, that, that language, and then he, he throws also the word dispersion in there. And so there's all this language, and what, he, what he's doing, and in a nutshell, I want to show you this. He's making a relationship between them and, and showing them that God at one time chose the people of Israel, and he's not given up on them, just so you know. But in the same way he's chosen you, he's elected you and I to be his in the church today. But there's a difference. There's a huge difference, which is remarkable, but there's a huge difference. They were exiled and dispersed because of what? Because of unfaithfulness. Because they were disobedient to God's word. The opposite is true for these people in Asia Minor, and hopefully for you and I here today, if we are obedient and faithful to Christ, they were being persecuted and suffering, and it was going to get worse because of their obedience to Jesus Christ and his word. He goes on in verse 2 to say, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So we're going to return to this verse a little bit more next week because, again, it's quite dense, beautiful, but it sets up what we're going to see next week. So we'll come back to it a little bit. Suffice to say, just for today, let's see this. Foreknowledge in this text could not mean this. I hope you will agree. It could not mean that God merely had information about Jesus Christ, of how he would be born one day of a virgin, how he would live a life, that was pretty good, how he would perform a bunch of miracles, that he would know all this information about Jesus, and that one day, due to some very uncircum, uh, uh, unfortunate circumstances, he would be crucified and, and, and put on a cross and crucified and dead and buried. And at that point, God would be go, well, I, I now have to figure out how to make all things work out for good for those who love me. That could not be the case, could it? Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Jesus Christ personally was known by God then, before the foundation of the world. So it wasn't just information about him. And so the corollary that's being made by the teaching of foreknowledge in the New Testament Scripture is that in the same way, God had personal knowledge of you and me, who he would choose, whom he would elect. Um, I don't know about you, but I hear stuff like that, and I'm going, amen, that's awesome. But it's also a bit mind-blowing. And there's tension in it. There's tension in it, and there should be. There really should be. So foreknowledge then means that both Christ and his people, the elect excels, were known objects of God's loving foreknowledge from all eternity as well. Mind-blowing for sure. But there's also a ton of hope in it, and I hope you see that as well. So verse 2 then also shows us the work of the triune God. <laughs> Peter's showing us a picture of the triune God. We don't he- The Trinity, the word is not in the Bible, but we see the Trinity of God at work in our salvation. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit then acts in us spiritually to resuscitate us, to regenerate us so that we will know and respond to the God who has chosen and elected us. And that's all a result of and brought about us because of the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ that has made us clean and has provided us the forgiveness of our sins. It's an amazing picture. So, in conclusion, point number three is, and I don't know if you remember, it, it was on the wall earlier the content, <laughs> pardon me, the context and dot, 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 what? The pastor. So the context in this letter is the provinces of Asia Minor, where these early churches and Christians were exiles. And over the balance of this letter, we're going to see uh, Peter speaking into their situation. Um, And it's remarkably similar to ours today, I want to suggest to you. Peter will encourage them to remain obedient to Christ and his word in the midst of great trials, great suffering, and persecution. It's already upon them, and Peter knows it's upon them, but Peter also knows, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe, prophetically, something else. If you remember when we went through the Gospel of Luke, there was a point when Jesus talked about the the fig tree and that, you know, you should watch the fig tree, and it was kind of like I gave you this, 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 we, We know that no one will ever know the hour or the time, but there will come a time in history where the church will sense something, that we will sense something. And so what Peter is sensing is it's going to get worse, much worse. In seven years it does. We'll get to that in the weeks ahead. But that's another reason why I, personally, as your pastor, felt it was a good time to study this book, this letter. That's the sense that I get. So as we conclude, I want to just ask you to remember one more story about Peter that I kind of overlooked, but it's an important story. You remember the occasion that after Jesus had risen from the dead, and he'd appeared to the disciples and he'd been like for 40 days, and and then he makes a point one day. I've going to Peter in front of all the other disciples and sitting down in front of Peter yes to restore him as an apostle and one of his disciples and Jesus looks him in the eye and says Peter do you love me remember that can you imagine Peter and, of course, Peter's—pardon me Jesus is using the word agape for love, which is a very high level, the kind of love that the Father has for Jesus kind of love. And Peter replies something like, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother, filio. And so Peter becomes a bit discouraged at one point because Jesus asks him again and again. Peter, do you love me? Each time that Peter says, I love you like a brother, (laughs) Jesus replies with one of either, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, care for the flock. I want to suggest to you it was on that day that Jesus commissioned the capital A apostle as a pastor. He ends in chapter 5 the letter to the church in 1 Peter With the words, as a fellow elder, speaking to the elders in the church, to shepherd the flock, and again, I want to encourage you and say that this is the reason why he wrote this letter, and this, too, is the reason why I wanted to share it with you today and over the following weeks. He concludes with a benediction of sorts. It's benediction may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is a man who throughout his days with Jesus and to this point in his life has experienced over and over the multiplied grace and peace of Christ. And he's wishing that upon those in these provinces of Asia Minor, the church, I wish that for you today, too. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray.